God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In the context of this, of this chapter, God, uh, the Bible is telling us that this reconciliation ministry we've been given is primarily for us as believers to help people who are lost get their relationship reconciled to God. That's primarily what it's about. But here's what I've learned. You can hardly have a right relationship with God without it bringing you to a place where you begin to have a right relationship with others. And as much as our responsibility is to help reconcile people to God through faith in Christ, once they come to faith in Christ, we also have a ministry to help reconcile ourselves with each other. And so this is important stuff for us to be able to understand. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Listen, to be a peacemaker is a defining quality of being a child of God. It, is, it should be commonplace. When people look at Christians, it should be commonplace to say, you know what, that's a person who likes to settle disputes between people. That is a peacemaker. And it's, and it's an identifying quality of a true child of God. And so reconciliation is an important thing for us as believers. So my question for you tonight is, do you practice biblical reconciliation? And as we look at this truth tonight, there are three truths that we must establish in order to practice biblical reconciliation. And the first one I want you to write down is we must establish the person. We must establish the person who should seek reconciliation. And uh, the Word of God makes very clear who it is that should initiate reconciliation. Now here's the problem we struggle with first and foremost when it comes to reconciling an issue we have with someone else. It's always somebody else's job, right? I get hurt and I think, well, they should come and apologize to me. I hurt somebody else and I think, well, they should suck it up and get over it. (laughs) That's the kind of thing we think and it's always somebody else's job. Um, but the Bible makes very clear whose responsibility it is to initiate reconciliation. And we'll look at three examples of this. First off, note down the hurt person should initiate reconciliation. The hurt person. Verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18. That's where I want you to go. Matthew chapter number 18. And we'll be here for the entirety of our study in Matthew chapter number 18. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives us in no uncertain terms what his instructions were for how to settle issues in the church, how to reconcile issues within the body of Christ. And it's interesting, out of all the things that Jesus could have taught, he only taught a few things himself to his church. And one of the things he taught himself to the church was how to settle conflict between believers, reconciliation. And so verse number 15 of Matthew chapter 18, if you're there, say amen. Amen. The Bible says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Here what the Bible indicates is that if you have been offended by someone, you should go seek out to address the issue yourself personally. This is... First, uh, the first and most ideal person to address the issue. This is the person that Jesus uh, spoke directly should be the one to handle the issue. You've been hurt by someone. You should go talk to them about it. That goes against every fiber of our being. 
when we get hurt by someone, everything in us wants to think, no, they need to come tell me they're sorry. No, they need to come get it right with me. They hurt me. It shouldn't be my job to go talk to them. That's what our human nature tells us. But that's not what Jesus says here. Understand this. This is what I've learned. Sometimes someone hurts me. And I think they did it maliciously. I think they did it intentionally. And I think all these things in my head. But when I, when I actually obey the scripture and I go and talk to them, I realize they had no idea what they were doing. And uh, a lot of times our mind can play tricks on us. Now, that's not always the case. I know that. But many times that is the case. Um, and if we just be willing to be obedient to scripture, it would help us with a lot of things. Now, let me say a couple of things about this. If you're the hurt person... The first thing you really need to establish is if what you are hurt by is really worth making that big of a deal about. I think that's where you should start. The Bible says, great peace have those who love thy law and nothing shall offend them. And sometimes I think we can get really petty with the differences that we have with each other. Well, he didn't even shake my hand on Sunday. Right? I mean, we can get real petty with uh, a whole lot of things. And so you should really evaluate, is this really worth making a big deal about. And if it is, then you should. You should go talk to them about it. If it's not something that you feel like you can let go. Um, and the goal uh, as a hurt person is not to go seek them to earn your forgiveness. You should grant forgiveness before you ever go talk to them. The goal is to seek restoration in your relationship with them. So there's not this chasm between you. So there's not this avoidance between you. The Bible says in Ephesians Chapter 4 and verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Can I just say this? Don't ever demand an apology. And we do that for our kids, don't we? Like, say you're sorry. And you look at the other one, say I forgive you, Right? Um, and, uh, but, but that, that really is a very elementary practice. Now, uh, uh, I could go a long time into that, but I'm going to run out of time if I do that. But the first person who should initiate dealing with a conflict is the hurt person. The second person who I believe the Bible teaches should initiate dealing with the conflict is the hurtful person, the hurtful person. If you realize that you have offended someone, you should address the issue. Look back at Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 23. The Bible says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave thy gift before the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Here's a little bit of a different spin. You're not doing the hurting, but as you are trying to go about your life and serve the Lord, and in this case, offer a sacrifice, this man realizes, oh man, I hurt somebody. The Bible says, stop what you're doing. Go and seek to get it right, right then. Don't wait. Proverbs 6 and verse 3 says, do this now, my son. Go and get things right with him. The language of scripture is always now, today, immediately. As soon as you realize there's an offense, don't avoid it. But that's what we do, right? There's an offense. We just let it linger and linger and days turn to weeks and weeks turn to months and months turn turn to years. And all of a sudden, we've allowed this thing to stay between us and somebody else for so long that we can't even remember what it was that drove us apart 
but we know that we don't talk to each other, right? And, and so that's why the Bible says do it now. And so really, there's no excuse. If you've been hurt, you need to go talk to them about it. If you feel like you might have hurt someone, or maybe you just feel like there's a rift between you and someone, you don't even know why. And the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart. You should go to them and say, listen, is, is there anything that I've, I've done that has offended you? Or is there anything that's come between us? Because, you know, you can talk to me about it. That, that would be the right approach to take to this from both sides of it. All right. Now, here's a third category. Um, and that would be the, the helpful, helpful person. So first you have the hurt person, and then you have the uh, hurtful person, and now you have the helpful person. And this is what the Bible tells us back in Matthew 18 and verse number 16. Look at Matthew 18 and verse number 16. The Bible says, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two, uh, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Um, if you have been made aware of an offense and you can be a part of the solution, you should be willing to address the issue. Here's what the Bible tells us here. Maybe there's a rift between two people and they haven't been able to sort it out. And one of them comes and confides in you and says, I don't know what to do. Will you go with me to talk to him? At that point, you can be a Barnabas, a son of consolation. Be, be one who's willing to come beside another person to help two people get back together to work out their differences, to be that unobjected voice. And by the way, you should never do it unless you can be an unobjected voice, right? You're not taking sides. You're trying to help two people work something out. You're hearing both perspectives and helping them come to a place of compromise and to a place of resolution. That's what God's called us to do as believers. And so if you could be a helpful person, you should do that. Galatians 6 and verse 1, I think it's in your notes. It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And as we've already said, it is the characteristic of true Christianity to be a peacemaker, to be someone that you know, if they're around, they're going to bring down the situation and not elevate the situation. Right? They're going to seek reconciliation and bringing people back together and not stirring up the pot, as they say. Now, I will say this on this point. There are many of us who may intend, may intend to be helpful in disputes between people, but all we are doing is being hurtful. Let me put it frankly. Stay out of people's business. If it is not your business, do not make it your business. Now, this is not in your notes. You should write it down, though, because this is a fun verse. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 16. Proverbs 27, 16 says, He that passes by and meddles with strife that doesn't belong to him is like someone who takes a dog by the ears. Now, I've never done that before, all right? I've thought about it for cats, but I, I have never done it for dogs, all right? It doesn't sound like a very good idea. He that takes a dog by the ears, what's going to happen if you do that? You're going to get bit, all right? And you go around and try to be the busybody of the church and say, oh, I just want to, well, what, what's going on over here? Uh, let me see if I can help you. Let me pray for you, right? That's what we like to say. You're going to get bit. You're going to get hurt. Um, and if, if you have not been invited to be a part of the solution, you should not make yourself a part of the problem. There's a word for trying to get involved in everybody's matters, and it's called being a gossip. This is fun, isn't it? 
You know, a, being a busybody is not a spiritual gift. By the way, if you see someone post something online, your first response shouldn't be, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. First response should be, shut your mouth and pray for them. All right? It really should be. And uh, people air all their dirty laundry online, I know. And you feel like it's free game. We are not called to be gossips. We are, we are called to be prayer warriors and peacemakers. And um, I, I get stirred up about this thing, so y'all just have to excuse me. But First Peter 4 and verse 15 says, But let none of you suffer as a busybody in other men's matters. Where no wood is, Proverbs twenty six twenty. where no wood is, there the fire goes out. So where there is no talebearer or gossip, the strife ceases. Problems go away when people learn how to shut their mouths and let people work things out before they have to spread it around. Um, and uh, I better stop there. Y'all going to start getting mad at me. But I'll say this as a final thing here. If they, if they will gossip to you, they will gossip about you. Just remember that. And it would be very wise for you not to listen to people's runoff conversations. Because um, uh, you think, oh, they trusted me with this. Oh, no, no, no. They're talking about you tomorrow to somebody else. Don't worry. Okay? Um, so just, let's not even allow it. So when I say you want to be a helpful person. You can be a helpful person if you're invited into the circumstance to try to help work things out. Otherwise, you need to sit back and pray. And, and, and let them try to follow what the scripture tells them to do. It doesn't mean you can't go to someone and say, hey, I see you guys. There's something going on there. Have you talked to them? That might be a good idea for you to do that. We can encourage each other to do things that are right without inserting ourselves in the middle of a circumstance. Um, and so we see uh, the first truth that we need to establish is the person who should seek reconciliation. Now, here's the next thing. Establish the process of reconciliation. Establish the process of reconciliation. After you've established the person who should be involved in making reconciliation, you then must establish the process by which they should seek reconciliation. And uh, even when being handled by the right people, many conflicts are only made worse by the manner in which they're handled. And uh, you know that in your marriage, perhaps. It's not what you say, it's how you said it, right? It's the tone of your voice. It's when you tried to say it. Um, as soon as he walks in the door after work, right? Um, there's all kinds of ways we, we see this played out practically. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things. There's a right time and a wrong time to do things. And the Bible clearly lines out the process that we should uh, take when it comes to this matter of reconciliation. And so here's what the Bible has to say about the right process for handling conflicts. First off, you're to do it with the right objective. Do it with the right objective. Look at the end of verse 15. The Bible says, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Question, what is the goal of reconciliation? What's that? Restoring. Yeah, to restore, to gain your brother. The goal of restoration, or I'm sorry, the goal of reconciliation is restoration. Um, very simple concept. We're trying to bring peace between two people that were at odds. And so many people, when seeking to address a person who has offended them, do so with the wrong objective, and therefore they experience the wrong outcome. And uh, what are some examples of the wrong objective for uh, trying to handle a, a dispute with someone else? Well, pride would be the first on the list. Proverbs thirteen ten. only by pride comes contention. Only by pride. When you come, when your goal is pride, when you go to talk to somebody, you go into the conversation saying, 
I'm going to prove that I was right. That's, that's, that's your goal. I'm going to prove I was right. I'm going to prove you were wrong, right? Another motive that people have when they uh, wrongly uh, have a wrong objective for seeking reconciliation is revenge. Um, they say, I will hurt them for hurting me. That's, uh, that, that's, that's the spirit of revenge. I will hurt them for hurting me. Uh, Romans 12, verse 19 says that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. It's not our job to hurt others for hurting us. Right? Those types of things are left in God's hands. Another wrong, uh, wrong objective in reconciliation is, is bitterness. Bitter, bitterness. A bitter spirit says, I'll make sure they know they hurt me. And usually it's through passive-aggressive glances <laughs> um, or through the tone of the voice that's uh, uh, obviously uh, not in it um, when the conversation is being had. You can write down next to that Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15. The Bible warns us to be careful lest a root of bitterness springs up in our hearts and defiles many people as a result of it. Here's the point. The only way that restoration can truly be your objective is if you first deal with the issue personally before bringing it to them. Here's what happens a lot of times. We go to be obedient to the scripture, but we don't first deal with ourselves before we deal with them. We go to talk to someone we have a conflict with, and the assumption is they need to get right. And so I'm going, and I'm going to talk to them, and I'm presuming that they're the ones that need to change, not me. And therefore, you have already started from the wrong place. Because the Bible says you need to examine yourself first before you ever even go and talk to them. That's how the Bible tells us to do it. So listen to this. If you have been offended... This is going to require you to forgive before you ever go and talk to them. You're not going with the expectation that I'm going to go and talk to them and they better forgive me or I'll never talk to them again. No, you forgive before you even have the conversation. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit of God to help you bring you to a place where you can forgive them. Um, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 11 and 12, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And Satan is the divider. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan knows how to drive a wedge between you and somebody else. And he uses hurts that drive us to the place where we aren't willing to forgive that results in bitterness he uses these things and he uses it masterfully so listen if you've been hurt you ought to really do some self-examination and realize you know what if jesus could forgive me of all the foolish things and hurtful things that i have done then what reason do i have to not to forgive anybody for what they've done to me if you can go into a conflicting situation with the spirit of forgiveness even though you've been hurt um, you're doing yourself and the person you're talking to a big favor now on the other side of things if you have been the one who has hurt someone else it may require you before you ever go talk to them to have a humble and repentant spirit all right the bible says in james five sixteen, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another so here's what happens sometimes for us we go into these conflicting situations with the wrong objective from the beginning. We're assuming that they're in the fault. 
And so this is what we do. We think, really? They let that offend them? And we immediately assume, well, really, it's their fault. They shouldn't have got offended at the thing I did. It really wasn't that bad. And we go into the conversation with that presumption, whereas the person we go to talk to, they've really been hurt by it. Here's an example, right? Uh, years ago, uh, I used to, and I probably still slip up and do it sometimes, but I try not to, I used to snap my fingers uh, during the invitation. When I, I'll, say, I'll do, say, heads bowed, eyes closed, and then I'll say, anybody, you're not sure you're saved, raise your hand. And I'd start going, right now, just raise it up in the air. Raise it up. Oh, there's one right there. Raise it up in the air. Oh, there's one right over there. Uh, something like that is what I would do. And boy, within a couple weeks, there were people who were threatening to leave the church over the preacher snapping his finger during the, during the invitation. No, it wasn't quite that bad. But I did find out there were some people who were genuinely offended. And when I first found out about that, I would love to say that I was brokenhearted and I felt so bad about it. But what I, what I actually thought was, sissies. <laughs> I'm going to start clapping my hands during the invitation. I'm not going to snap my finger. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. That's what I was thinking in my head. And it totally wasn't spiritual, but that was where I was at. And then I prayed about it and the Holy Spirit convicted my heart and I realized, what does it matter? I mean, what does it matter if I snap my fingers? It's such a petty thing. But I realized it was causing offense. And it wasn't just one person, it was several people. And so I got my heart right. You know what I did? I went to those people and I said, I was not trying to be offensive and I apologize that I was offensive and I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, you say, well, you didn't have to do that. Well, maybe not. But you know what? Peace among the brethren is more important than me being able to do what I think I should be able to do. Right? And if we would have a humble, repentant spirit about a lot of the issues that we face between each other, it would go a long way in helping us. And yes, most of the issues that we face are petty. I'm sorry, they just are. Um, but we still need to have a humble attitude. Now, there are some things you should be able to stand your ground on. Don't mistake what I'm saying. Um, but it's not the petty things. Um, and, uh, and so let's keep that in mind. Do it with the right objective. And remind me, what's the right objective in seeking reconciliation? Restoration. All right, the goal of reconciliation is restoration. Now, here's the next thing. We're to do it in the right order. We're to do it in the right order. Now, uh, as we read in our Bible, in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, the Bible makes very clear what that order is to us. We've already read the text. I'll not read it again. But the step-by-step the -step process that I put inside of your notes there is actually from our church's constitution and bylaw. It's a practical uh, outflow of what the scripture is teaching here for how to practice proper reconciliation in the context of the church. Step one, go alone to the offending party to seek to restore your brother. You don't go and grab a posse. You go to them. You talk to them. You seek to restore things with them. If that does not seem to resolve the issue, if reconciliation is not reached, step two, a second member is to accompany the one seeking to resolve the matter. And again, the goal in all of this is reconciliation. The goal in all of this is, is not to prove points and, and not to, the goal in all of this is to come to an agreement together as you're seeking the Lord to help you come to this place of reconciliation. Step three, if the matter is still unresolved, the discipline committee, pastoral staff and deacons, perhaps, or maybe 
um, some older mature people in the church that have been asked to serve in that capacity. They need to hear the matter um, between the two people and help to bring to a place of uh, there to be unobjected voices to help bring the dispute to a place of reconciliation. Um, step four, if the matter is not resolved during hearing before the discipline committee, the committee shall recommend to the members of the church that they, after self-examination, make an effort to personally go to the offending church member and seek that member's restoration. And then, of course, the last step is if this person is unwilling to get things right or if these people are unwilling to get things right, the matter is still unresolved. Such members who refuse to repent and be restored are to be removed from the membership of the church upon a majority vote of the membership present at a meeting called for the purpose of considering disciplinary action. You say, whoa, pastor, that actually escalated quickly. Is that what the Bible says? We'll go back and read Matthew 18 verses uh, 15 through 17. That's exactly what the Bible says. And the, the Jesus did not, did not make uh, uh, this a light issue. This is an important issue. And it is an essential issue. And it should be to us as well. Let me give you an example. Um, years ago, we had a young lady in our church who, she got saved, praise God. And uh, it seemed like she was growing. Uh, it seemed like she was saved. I, I, I don't know people's hearts. But long story short, Soon after, six to eight months after, this, this poor lady fell into some addiction to prescription drugs. Um, and it was, uh, it, was, it was become apparent to someone that she had borrowed money from um, that this was what the money had been used for. And uh, it was not communicated that, that was what, that's what the money was going to be used for. And uh, so to make a long story short, this person tried to confront this other person, a member of our church, about it. And uh, they refused to uh, talk about it. They refused to acknowledge it. They refused to deal with it properly. And so this other person from our church who had good intentions in trying to see this member restored came and, um, to another person um, who was a trusted person and tried to go to this, uh, this dear lady and, and restore her. It just didn't, it didn't happen. And then the issue was brought to me. And uh, I, along with a couple of our deacons and these ladies, went and tried to confront the issue. Um, but did, she just didn't want and would, would, at that point, refused to even uh, meet with us, refused to even talk to us. And by this point, uh, I know some of you are, are prone to this situation. I'm trying to be as vague as I possibly can about it. But at this point, uh, we had several people who had given money, uh, several people who had uh, been, uh, been exposed to the situation were being misled. And it was, um, it was an issue happening within our, our church family. Uh, the good people of our church who were wanting to be benevolent and wanting to help out were being lied to and it was being used for the wrong purposes. And so, yes, we had to. After we took all those other steps on a Sunday night, we called a discipline meeting. We brought the issue in front of the church, uh, spoke the name of the person. We invited that person to come. She did not come. The goal of all this was restoration, not to hold anything over her head. We had to let the church family know what was going on and make very clear the issue that was happening. And at that point, we instructed the church family that because she was unwilling to come and seek reconciliation and seek to start getting things right... We voted her out of the church membership, and we told the church family we, were, we will not be in contact with this person except it be for the purpose of trying to encourage her to get right with God and, 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 and to get right in this situation. And I love to tell you the end of the story is that she eventually did, but it's not, that wasn't the end of the story. 
And uh, from time to time, I, I, I do hear about her, but I, I don't know anything about that situation today. And it still grieves my heart to this day. Uh, I still hope there will be reconciliation in that particular field one day, but that's not what happened. But I wanted to share that with you. And that's not the only time that's, that's happened through the years. Um, but I wanted to share that with you to give you a, a biblical example of something that's happened in our church where we had to deal with this. Um, now, I will say this, 90% of the time, 90% of the time, when there is a conflict, it's settled as step one or step two with, with sincere Christians. You just go to them one-on-one, or maybe they got a little frustrated with each other when they tried to talk, but another person goes, and they work it out. 90% of the time. Because I really believe that we, most, we are a body of believers, and we genuinely want to honor the Lord and please the Lord. And we have the Spirit of God within us, and He enables us to work these things out. But understand this, Jesus has given us a very clear process to follow. Here's the, here's the struggle we have with it. It takes faith to do that. Because it is uncomfortable to do what God just told us to do there. It does not feel good. Tempers flare, emotions rage, all that stuff can happen. And it is not easy to do. It takes faith to trust God to follow His process. It takes faith to do it. And I am by means no expert with this. I struggle with this terribly. <laughs> uh, but I am saying this is what the Bible tells us we're supposed to do when it comes to the matter of seeking reconciliation. And I'm taking longer than I intended to, but let's move on to the final thing here. First, you establish the person, then you establish the process, and then finally you establish the product of reconciliation. Now, nobody likes conflict. You know what everybody likes? What conflict resolution produces. At your workplace, you got two people who are fighting with each other and bickering with each other. It makes it miserable for everybody. But when they finally work things out, it's like, oh, thank God that's over. <laughs> Am I right? It's the same way in the church. It's the same way in your house, right? With your kids, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, it's better for everybody when two conflicting parties can work things out, all right? Um, and so what does conflict resolution produce? What does reconciliation produce? I'm not going to even spend hardly any time on these because we're out of time. But the first thing is purity. Purity. All right? Two people who were contaminated, not right with each other, they get things right, purity is restored in the body. Or if someone who is not doing the right thing doesn't repent, they're excused from the church until they're willing to get it right, and you still end up with purity. On both counts. But God is very concerned with the purity of his church. And uh, there's a lot of illustrations I could give on that, but I don't have time uh, to do that. Um, so purity is the first goal or product. Number two, unity. Unity. Verses 19 and 20. Some of the most taken out of context verses in all the Bible. Verse 19. It says, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it, it shall be done of them. Of my, for them of my Father which is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Of course, we always have people quote that verse and say, you know, if two or three of us, two, two or three of us are together, God's right here with us. Well, guess what? If I'm sitting alone in my bedroom, God's there with me, okay? Um, newsflash, all right? That's not what it's talking about. Uh, what it's talking about is if two or three people who are trying to settle a dispute can come together, in submission to the Holy Spirit of God, God's at work in the midst there, 
and God can help you bring reconciliation. And so um, we see uh, unity can be restored as we come together under the authority of God and allow God's spirit to bring us that unity. Here's the last product, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, after Jesus talks about all of this, handling disputes, Peter speaks up like he always does, right? And Peter says, okay, Jesus. Um, this is my uh, self-translation. Oh, he says, okay, Jesus. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many times should I forgive somebody then? I'm thinking seven. I mean, that sounds like a lot. Seven times, right? And Jesus is like, no, Peter. Uh, you got it dead wrong. And he goes on and shares this incredible illustration. I don't have time to read it. You should go read it later. But in a parallel passage, he's, he's talking about not just seven, but 70 times seven. How about that, Peter? The indication is, hey, just keep forgiving them. If they, if they offend you uh, 70 times, seven times in a day, keep forgiving them if they're seeking reconciliation. If, if reconciliation is sought, you ought to continue <clears throat> to be able to forgive that person because that's one of the products of true reconciliation. It produces forgiveness. And uh, sometimes we hurt each other in the same area in the same way multiple times. And, uh, uh, but if we're genuine in trying to make things right every time, we ought to give that person the ability to do that. Now, what I am not talking about is abuse. And let me be very clear about this. Um, uh, there are some people who uh, stay in a dangerous in, in, in difficult situation um, that they should not remain in. Um, and uh, uh, just because they seek reconciliation with you, you can forgive them without allowing them to be close enough to you in your, li- in your life to be able to continue to hurt you that way. All right? And so I want you to be very careful when understanding what the Bible is and isn't saying, uh, isn't, isn't saying here. But boy, when you do seek reconciliation and you experience God fulfilling his word, it brings about some wonderful things. Unity uh, brings about true forgiveness and it brings about this um, purity in the body. And really, any of us who have seen two people reconcile, we know how relieving it is for everyone. When things get worked out and how relieving it could be for your home, how relieving it could be for your church, how relieving it could be for your workplace if we would learn to practice biblical reconciliation.